0: Welcome to the Voices of the River podcast, presented by Blood of the West.
1: All right. Hey, uh, welcome back to the uh, Voices of the River podcast. Uh, Once again, I'm John Robinson. I'm the director of Blood of the West. Um, I wanted to kind of put out this episode as a way of introducing everyone to uh, what I'm trying to do with Blood of the West, uh, who I am, uh, and generally, I wanted to sort of explain how I started with this project, uh, where I'm trying to go with it, and, uh, and what I'm trying to ultimately do with it. So I first uh, came to the Colorado River and to, to talking about the Colorado River um, back in 2009 when I was doing my uh, graduate thesis film at Chapman University down in Southern California. The, the thesis film that I was working on um, at that time, was called New World Water. Uh, and it was kind of this sort of post-apocalyptic look at uh, the water crisis in the West. Uh, and I was mostly inspired by a few articles that I'd read about um, the commodification of water in the West, uh, specifically bottled water plants uh, in places like San Bernardino Mountains, uh, just north of where I went to school at the time. Interestingly enough, just this month, uh, the Nestle Corporation uh, was issued an order by uh, California regulators to actually stop pumping water uh, from national forest lands up in the San Bernardino Mountains, uh, which kind of got me thinking back to the origins of this project and sort of where it came from. Uh, so for this thesis project that I was working on, um, I got a script, and the initial uh, concept for the the idea was that it was uh, Uh, post-apocalyptic dystopian setting with like this evil government organization and coal was this sort of resource that they were sort of using to sort of um keep the population in line uh i didn't feel like coal at that time uh was something that was really a, a pressing issue in the sort of cultural zeitgeist and so what i wanted to do was actually look at a resource that down the line in a post-apocalyptic future, what would be the potential resource that, that could be have everybody at war or have everybody at conflict with each other. And obviously water uh, being a big issue for anyone who lives in California or uh, in the Southwest in general is always sort of front of mind. And I had been learning about a little bit of where Los Angeles's water came from and some of the backstory of that. Water was this great resource to sort of focus the film on and really tell this story about this sort of uh, bottled water company that was essentially operating in this aridified dystopian western landscape uh, where the rivers and lakes had dried up. and the, this water company had become the de facto government essentially for, for this population and was restricting access to water uh, to keep its population in line. The main characters ultimately went out and subverted the company's goals by venturing out into this forbidden desert and finding a big giant lake. And then by the end of it, um, you get the sense that in the future, they're going to wind up leading the population out to this uh, plentiful water with an egalitarian sort of living conditions uh, that aren't under this iron fist of this dystopian um Company. Uh, It follows a lot of sort of tropes that are traditional to science fiction. Um, And if you're interested in watching it, it is on YouTube, uh, and I can throw a link in the show notes. But that's sort of what sort of brought me to this. Uh, And the reason it brought me to this is because we wound up um, doing a lot of our scouting and and research uh, out towards the Salton Sea. Uh, And if you don't know where the Salton Sea is, it's in Southern California. Um, in the middle of the desert, kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, and it's the largest inland sea in North America, uh, and it's kind of artificially created. Uh, so it's kind of this amazing sort of mix of like beautiful and disgusting and inspiring and depressing and it's on one hand this bizarre ecological disaster and yet on the other hand it's one of the most important places in the Southern California desert uh, on an ecological level because it provides this amazing bird habitat, places for those migratory birds to actually uh, land and, and live in the winter months. Um, but it's also really gross. like so the first time I went there it, uh, it was in the summer and there was the beach was basically composed of dead and rotting fish. And they had this huge tilapia die off a couple of years prior that was millions of fish died and washed up on the beaches of the Salton Sea here. Um, and you go out in the summer months there and it just reeks and everything's crusted with salt and everything's just like it feels as close to a post apocalyptic landscape as you can find. And then you have these areas like Salton City and Bombay Beach. Uh, and other areas around there, nyland that are really run down or entirely abandoned. And you have this sort of ready-made post-apocalyptic landscape. And it was really amazing for a film, but I also started looking at it in terms of the ecological um, subtext that was going on there and the, and the history of how it got to be I was hearing these stories, and we wound up shooting at a greenhouse. Uh, and it was a hydroponic greenhouse, and we wound up sort of talking about water reuse and the, the increase in salt, salt and selenium that happens with water reuse. And and they they were telling me how, you know, all the water that they get in that huge agricultural zone in the Imperial and Coachella Valleys is water from the Colorado River and that the salt and Sea actually was created through a series of accidents and floods in the early 1900s that basically flooded this entire inland sort of bowl in the desert with water. And then that water has nowhere to go, so it either evaporates or it gets fed by sort of waste runoff from all this farmland. So you get a lot of fertilizer in there, you get a lot of... Um, All these sort of chemicals and and things that have sort of, and then salt and selenium sort of build up from underneath. And so you get this really kind of toxic environment. And it's really kind of fascinating where it's sort of one ecological disaster and human disaster in the early 1900s, which was this flood, has then repeatedly compounded itself over time um, at this location in the Salton Sea. Now, this is a long way of sort of getting to to ha- where the Salton Sea was sort of the impetus for my interest in the, in the Colorado River. Now, prior to shooting my thesis film, I kind of thought about the Colorado River in the way that I feel like most people do. You know, I knew the Grand Canyon. Um, I hadn't been there at the time, um, but I had this sort of vision of this orange river flowing Through big red rock canyons that it had carved over millions of years Um, or the Hoover Dam you know was this other thing whereas like in middle school like they teach you oh the Hoover Dam is this great sort of testament to American uh, resiliency and ingenuity and engineering and technological masterwork and you know, prior to to doing research for the film in 2010 and then later as I've been a photographer out in the West, that's kind of how I saw the the Colorado River. Um, and then, you know, as I was working on this film and as I was sort of doing research on the Salton Sea, I realized that really the, the formation of the Salton Sea was actually the reason that Hoover Dam was built. And that, in fact, the, the natural water flow of, uh, of the river in Southern California is this wide meander that um, for millennia had sort of covered like hundreds of miles through this reasonably flat um, desert uh, through the Mojave and Colorado deserts in Arizona and California um, as it heads down towards the Delta. The delta itself, I found, was um, originally one of this sort of most magnificent deltas in the world. It was this sort of testament to uh, biodiversity, and, and there was so much life in that delta. And I found it interesting, found it fascinating, that as I started reading and I read Cadillac Desert and all sorts of other things, you realize that the, the water doesn't really reach the sea anymore. I feel like that's a, a big talking point that a lot of people talk about. Um, but you also realize that this, this flood event in the early 1900s and this, this desire to sort of tame and corral and control this sort of wide-ranging river um, really not only led to the formation of the Salton Sea, But the reaction to the formation of the Salton Sea and the deaths that happened in the flood in the early nineteen hundreds were actually the impetus for the nineteen twenty two Compact and the formation of the Hoover Dam. That was the reason that California wanted the Hoover Dam was uh, because of the Salton Sea, and so in a similar way to, I found myself transported to the Colorado River by the Salton Sea the the story of of how we are managing the river really begins in a lot of ways at the Salton Sea as well and there are other beginnings and other things that I that I look at uh, as, as I've been researching this documentary but that was a, a really big one and that kind of stuck out to me um, and so I made this thesis film and I kind of put it behind me and I worked in the film industry for 5 years or so. And then um during my time off, like if we had hiatus or if I was between shows, I would take my camera and I would go out to the Southwest and I would just shoot. And I just had a great time, you know, hiking and getting connected to nature. And the places that inspired me most were these places that were carved by rivers throughout the Colorado Plateau, you know, your Zion National Parks and your your Bryce Canyons and your Canyonlands and arches and um, Grand Canyon and all these other places that uh, are throughout the the Colorado system were really these things that that created a, a real emotional connection for me. Um, you know, I went through some some tough times and and going out to these places really re energized and restored. Um, my my passions and my creative drive and so like going out and and experiencing these places created this sort of bond with the landscapes and I've always wanted to sort of figure out a way to sort of give back or to to really capture the way that I feel about these areas and share it with the world um and then in 2014 I wound up hiking up to the confluence of the Green and Colorado Rivers in Canyonlands and the year before I had, um, I had knee surgery I had a, a torn ligament in my knee and I was sort of a year out of hiking and the first big hike I did was this hike out to the confluence of the Green and Colorado and I felt so good having hiked out to the river there you know, I sat and I, and I was like, oh, you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to go hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And then, because that's naturally where my mind went for some reason. Um, and then I, I proceeded to just keep walking that day and I walked until sundown and I got in like 24 miles, um, and ran out of water like halfway through, but I didn't care because it was just living and breathing amongst this amazing landscape carved by this amazing river was a really special experience for me and it, it really stuck with me um, and each time I've gone back out to the confluence I've, I've had this moment of just like it's hard to explain but it's it's this sort of epiphany moment every time where I'm like I'm gonna do something new I'm gonna do something bigger I'm gonna do something great um, and in 2018 I believe, I went out to the confluence and decided that I wanted to make a documentary on the Colorado River. Um, Because I looked at this river and I looked at the green water of the Green River coming into the red water of the Colorado. And it was such an interesting story. And I looked at uh, the canyons around me and the way they're all sort of carved by these streams that all come into the Colorado. And I really started to think about um, just the interconnectedness of everything, and, uh, how everything sort of ties into the river in some way throughout the Southwest, um, and then, you know, I I was like, oh, how could I construct this documentary, and I was like, oh, well, if I do, I could do a John Wesley Powell retrace, because I found his story pretty fascinating, and I just read, um, a book about it was basically a biography of, of him, um, by Walter uh, Stegner. Um, and I, I felt like Powell would be, like, a good skeleton. Uh, if I started at Green River, Wyoming, and came down to Las Vegas, I could then meet with people along the way, and we could tell this story about how the rivers changed over time. I started I started shooting it, and I started just going out and interviewing people, and. Connecting with people who knew the river. Uh, and that's where the first episode, Robert Adler, um, it was during that research phase that I interviewed him. And as I was interviewing, I really started thinking about this interconnectedness idea and that it wasn't just one man's story along the river, you know, and it's not just my story along the river. It's not John Wesley Powell's story along the river. It's not even you know, all the explorers who've come and explored the river, or it's not all the indigenous people who have lived along the river for millennia, or the ranchers and farmers who continue to require the river for for water today. It's everyone's story. Uh, And it's about the headwaters in Wyoming as much as it is in the Delta down in Mexico. And it's as much about the Salton Sea as it is about Canyonlands and that confluence that I found so inspiring. Um, And it's about each of these different cultures and peoples and way of looking at the river that are all part of this huge melting pot of the Southwest. These 40 million voices that all rely on this river in one way or another. And I started... To think about just the way everything works together, and and how you have these small tributaries that wind up pulling soil from the land, depositing in the water, and then the and into the river, and then the river takes the sediment downstream, and it all relays the land into the water, and everything that we put into the land, everything that we do to the land, has an effect on the water, and vice versa. Um, And I really wanted to tell that story and the only way I could think of telling that story was to tell the whole story and so I started thinking about this as a larger episodic series and Blood of the West really is this idea that I can't tell the entire story in just one section or one part and every documentary I've seen on the Colorado River talks about the river in terms of one section or one part as a way of sort of tangentially connecting with the entire watershed. But what you wind up doing when you do that, when you look at just the Grand Canyon, or you look at just Canyonlands, or you look at just the Rocky Mountains or just the Delta, you tell a small story and you can maybe get into finer grain detail and maybe get into more sort of intimate connection. But it's not telling a holistic story of the entire watershed. And when we need to look at the river, we need to look at, at it holistically. Because what happens at the Delta affects the headwaters and vice versa. And it is one watershed. And it's something that increasingly, as I've done research and as I've talked to people and as I've connected with people, I realize that the way we've been doing things over the past 200 years, uh, before the Salton Sea, disaster and before the building of Hoover Dam, all the way back to the initial expansion of Euro-Americans into the West, has really been a mismanagement. And it's been a a misunderstanding of the way the natural systems of the West work, the way the ecologies work, the way uh, the hydrologies work, um, and really the way people interact with and live in unison with the land and the water. And for me, there's no more no clearer way of understanding that connection than to connect with the indigenous people who have, for millennia, lived in concert with the river, who have found a way to sort of operate in this landscape through massive droughts historically, through. Uh, boom times when we've had flooding events and everything else in the southwest
0: and who really understand
1: this on a cultural level uh, because they were born of this landscape they have lived and breathed these this land and this water for millennia and to tell their story or to help them tell their own story and provide a platform for them to tell their own story is really like one of the most valuable ways I can do it. But I can't just focus on them. So I want to focus on everybody, right? I want to be able to get as many uh, perspectives on the river as I can. I want to get that urban perspective uh, from Denver or from Phoenix or from Los Angeles or Las Vegas or Salt Lake City, the places that are outside of the basin but are pulling water out out of the river to allow for their population to live there. Um, I want to talk to the farmers in the Imperial Valley and the Coachella Valley who rely on this water for the food production for most of what we eat for our winter food crops. Um, I want to talk to people up in Colorado who are on either side of the continental divide and that divide is not only this sort of physical divide but it's a very real cultural and um, political divide within that state. And I want to talk about these divides and these sort of differences that we have and find those areas of common ground, um, those things that we agree on, the things that we're all saying about the river. And if we're all saying the same thing then I feel like there's a way to tie all those things in together and wind up working out a solution that is not only equitable and manageable, um, but allows for the river to exist as a river, that allows for the river to continue to thrive, and for the ecology of the Southwest to continue to exist, Um, and for the people to still be able to live and operate and recreate along this watershed into the future as we face a situation with climate change where that water is increasingly less and less. You know, there's there's some radical thought that we need to depopulate the Southwest in order to, to live along the river. There's some radical thought that says we need to cut out agriculture in order to favor cities, or we need to stop growth in cities so that we can favor agriculture so that the entire U.S. can have food. They're, they're ideas that, that are solutions for a problem that is, are a little too drastic for what we're actually facing. I don't know what the answer is. I'm hoping that I can posit some answers by the end of this. Um, but I want to talk to all those people who have a connection to this river and who know the river best, whether it's from a cultural background or from a, you know, academic background or from just living and working in the river day in and day out. I want to know what their perspective on it is On it is, and then help try to sort of tell an overarching story of this whole river and how we can do better um, and, and how we can actually come together and actually figure out the solutions rather than continuing to dig a hole deeper and deeper hole that we might not ultimately be able to come out of, and so that's what I'm trying to do with this project and I felt like it was important for me to um to relay that through this podcast because this may be the only episode where you hear entirely my voice um because I don't want it to be about my voice it's not it's not my story uh Blood of the West is the Colorado River story. Blood of the West is the people who know the river best. It's their story. It's the farmer's story. It's the rancher's story. It's the municipal water department. It's their story. It's the indigenous people's story. It's 37 different tribes and indigenous cultures that I've identified so far that have a stake in how we use the watershed and how we treat the lands and the environment and the waters of this watershed. It's providing a platform for all of these voices to come out and talk about the river in an honest, open way without me editorializing or sort of dictating the way the story is told. So what I'm going to continue doing with this podcast is continue sort of releasing uh, interviews uh, that I've collected. Uh, I have about 40 uh, right now that are sort of sitting on my hard drive uh, that I'm working through uh, on the video editing side, but I want to give them all the chance to breathe and be laid out in their entirety because I think there's really valuable stuff that I'm not going to be able to fit even in a 10 episode series that I want to accurately and and sufficiently represent the things that these people are saying and tell the story of the work that they're doing and the lives that they're leading and the impacts of us ultimately failing to properly manage this river into the future. So that's this episode. Uh, I'm going to have the next interview coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, I've got Sinjin Eberle, uh who is the communications director for American Rivers. Uh, I just talked to him in October. He's great. He um, is extremely knowledgeable and provided a really excellent sort of overview from his perspective and from American River's perspective on the entire watershed. So I wanted to like start with him after we had talked to Professor Adler last week, um, and then continue the process of just getting some of these voices out there and sharing what they have to say. Um, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, I hope you listen to the whole thing. If not, cool uh hopefully you'll listen next week and the the next couple weeks after uh subscribe if you can and um follow along at blood of the or on twitter and instagram at blood of the west uh, any support uh that i get is super useful and really keeps me going uh as i try to tell this huge story so i'll sign off there but uh Thank you for listening, and I will catch you soon with the next episode.
0: For more information about this podcast or Blood of the West, visit our website at www.bloodofthewest.com. Blood of the West is a Cairnstone Films production. Cairnstone Films is operating as a 501c3 nonprofit production company. All proceeds beyond the production cost of the documentary will be directed toward the indigenous tribes of the Colorado River watershed, to assist in their efforts to ensure reliable and equitable access to their ancestral lands and waters. To follow along with our production, follow us on, Twitter and Instagram, at, Blood of the West.